If you've been going around the good old internet looking for the right podcast to fulfill your New York Yankees needs, well, I'll be the first to deliver the good news to you. You have found it. Here on Yapping Yankees with me, your host, Mike Scudero, you and I will be discussing the latest news, takes, and talk throughout the entire Yankee universe. Oh, and there may be some ranting on my behalf. Yeah. Anyway, what do you say we get to it? Let's get to yapping! Well, hello there, my fellow Yankee fans, and welcome to episode 178 of the Yapping Yankees podcast, where we yap about the Yanks and nothing but those Yanks. As always, I am your host, Mike Scudero, here on April 16th, 2023. I hope everybody had a happy Easter last Sunday. Obviously, there was no show last Sunday. Enjoyed the day with family. Had a very nice and relaxing day, went to Mass in the morning, did my thing, just sat around and had a good Easter. Easter's always been one of my favorite holidays, so I do like to just kick my feet up and relax as much as I possibly can on that day, so I'm glad I did that. It was a very nice day. Hope you had a very nice day as well and enjoyed your Easter. I did go to the game again yesterday. I'm not sure if I announced that two weeks ago, if I was going to the game or if I forgot to or just didn't get to. I don't remember two weeks ago, but I did go to the Yankee game again yesterday. Obviously, it was a really good time. Yankees getting a very comfortable win against the Minnesota Twins. Nice little rhyme there, but also a lot of stuff going on with Domingo Herman. actually, I mean, dip me in butter and roll me in nuts. My God, Domingo Herman actually pitching a good game and then having some controversy in the middle of it with the umpires checking his hands. Well, it turns out no big deal. According to the umpires and according to the Yankees after the game, and Rocco Baldelli with the Twins, the manager was not happy about it, got himself ejected over it, but (laughs) apparently he just had a bit too much rosin on his hands, and rosin is actually the one legal, legal substance that pitchers can actually use, but the umpires just seem to have lectured Herman about just washing his hands and not coming out with it, maybe. It just seemed like he maybe had too much of it. But regardless, it was just rosin. If it was just about anything else, if it was an illegal substance, he would have definitely been thrown out of the game. But he was allowed to stay in, so it was confirmed that it was just rosin. He continued to have a kick-ass start after that against all odds and against anyone's predictions, understandably so, because before this start, he had not started out the season too well, to say the least. So... Bit of a surprise there, but a very fun game to be at yesterday with the Yankees also putting up six runs. It was a lot of fun to watch. I always love when the offense comes out to play and makes it exciting. It was nice to see a W after seeing an L two weeks ago in the first game I went to my returning game to Yankee Stadium, even though that game was exciting, but it was good to go back yesterday and see a nice win, so that was fun. Also, these past couple of weeks, just a big couple of things I wanted to mention right off the bat here, also pun intended. Just a couple of names that I really wanted to throw out there and mention. Franchi Cordero, been quiet again the last couple of days, wasn't in the lineup in today's game. And yes, by the way, I am recording today after the final game of the four-game set against the Twins. The Yankees did win 2 to nothing today, so I'll get to that in a bit as well. But Cordero wasn't in the game today, but my God, do I have to mention, in basically just before this weekend, in the last two weeks that we have not spoken, I think I'm going to have to issue a public apology when it comes to Franchi Cordero, because two weeks ago, when we were talking about the Yankees having picked him up on that little $1 million deal, 
I basically took a crap on it, as did every single other Yankee fan based on Cordero's experience so far. Yeah, he did do well in spring training, but before that, to say the least, I think it's fair to acknowledge that Cordero was not having himself a good young career, and when the Yankees picked him up, it seemed like it was just kind of a useless move, maybe just there in the case of all the injuries happening, or if they just need someone to sub in it at a certain point in the outfield or in the lineup, just whatever, but it didn't seem like a needed move to be made, but I think I owe the guy an apology because so far in Only about 30, I think he's 36 at-bats. Yeah, I'm looking at 36 at-bats, 38 plate appearances. The guy has four home runs and 11 RBIs. The batting average is low, obviously. It's not not a surprise, but he's a home run guy, high strikeout guy. That's what he's been known as primarily before this. And, I mean, he has shown it. The power's there. The strikeouts are also there here and there as well. And he's also said to not be as effective against left-handed pitchers because he himself is a left-handed hitter. But, I mean, early on in the going with the Yankees, my God, has he had some big hits? <laughs> it's crazy. Both in Baltimore, in Cleveland, big hits. So, honestly, he has been very entertaining to watch, particularly with his very well-timed, big-moment home runs. Got to issue a bit of an apology to Cordero, at least so far, in the early going here. And it's an apology that I have no problem giving. You guys know that in any case that I end up being wrong whether it be something that I can't blame myself for originally thinking or not, I have no problem owning up to it as long as it's helping my team. (laughs) So an apology to the Yankees and Cordero for this move going down, but he has started himself off very well with the Yankees whenever he's gotten his chance to be in that lineup and with what happened today with the latest injury news, which yes, I am highly bummed about. We'll get to that in a few minutes. He might get himself even more playing time going forward. We'll see. But also another name I wanted to put out there, obviously Anthony Volpe. He is a big topic of discussion, of course, with the Yankees to start the season here. He did hit his first career home run the other night against the Twins amidst this four-game set. In that game on Friday against the Twins amidst this four-game weekend set, they should not have lost that game if not for Clay Holmes, but the game did start out on a very nice note with he and Judge going back-to-back to start the game in the bottom of the first for the Yankee offense, but Volpe had his first career home run. Congratulations to him. First home run in the major leagues. He has six stolen bases already heading into today. Three yesterday alone. First Yankee rookie at his age to do that. He had another stolen base today as well. He just, he is something else especially with the stolen bases. And it also feels like, I do have to say this, it feels like he's been hitting the ball better as of late, been making better contact, even when he's been making outs, just been better contact overall. There was one point, especially in that Baltimore series, he really seemed to have slowed down, seemed to be pressing a bit, and he was striking out a lot, just seemed to be overmatched at the plate. But the last few days, that seemed to turn itself around a bit, and he seems to be making better contact. And I just feel like for him, the hitting's sort of coming together and... I think little by little, you're going to start seeing his offense being a lot more resurgent and a lot more effective, and you're going to really see the numbers start to reflect in that, and I can't wait for that to happen because, believe it or not, after just a week or so amidst the time period where we weren't talking with these last two weeks being off because of Easter, there were a lot of people that were already, believe it or not, with just a 21-year-old rookie out there figuring it out and finishing off his development in the major leagues with the New York Yankees being their shortstop, there were a lot of people already giving him a lot of crap. And I just can't understand that a week into his major league career. And I did say it. 
in spring training, I said if he starts out slow, you will see some irrational fans out there just jump down his throat, believe it or not, already, and they did. And yeah, he's still not off to the best of starts, but the kid just got called up. He's 21 years old. He's figuring it out. He's doing a fantastic job at shortstop. He's drawn his walks. He's stealing his bases. He's making his presence known however he can. And like I said, it seems like he's making better contact lately. So that's going to even turn itself around in his numbers too. So I really want to emphasize patience with the irrational portion of the Yankee fan base who somehow is already giving Volpe crap so early on here. Some legends, like Derek Jeter even, in their first month or so in the major leagues, went through their struggles. It happens. It's part of adjusting, especially when you are as young as Anthony Volpe is. And like I said, in other ways, in plenty of other ways, stealing in the field, he's already making his presence known as well, and it's only just going to continue to come together with the bat. You just got to be patient, guys. You have to be patient. So... But I do like how he's looking at the plate a bit better. So, obviously, I'm willing to use all the patience possible for Volpe. I happen to love the kid. And obviously, with today, the other big name I want to mention right off the bat, just names that are standing out to me to start the season, and again, especially appropriate after today, is Garrett Cole. As if we needed any more reminders that this guy is our freaking ace. Did you see this game today? <laughs> My God in heaven, did he toss a gem. Complete game shutout. His first complete game shutout since that unbelievable game in Houston back in 2021. First Yankee complete game shutout in Yankee Stadium since Masahiro Tanaka. So that's a big deal as well. And he just looked terrific. Ten strikeouts and four starts into the season here. He is already 4-0 and with an ERA under one, and he has over 30 strikeouts already. He also passed Whitey Ford today for career strikeouts. He's getting very close to 2,000 career strikeouts already, obviously, and hopefully being nowhere near done with his career so far. So, Garrett Cole to start the season, and a lot of people are talking about it. Could the pitch clock be helping him? Sure it can. I mean, we've spoken about in the past when Cole has gotten into his own head and has gotten overly emotional mid-game sometimes and not being pressured to throw the ball under a certain time limit could have resulted in a lot of overthinking that's no longer possible because now you're on a time clock. And I'm not going to be a hypocrite here. I, as someone who doesn't give a crap how long a baseball game goes, is still a bit iffy with the pitch clock. I do acknowledge that it's speeding up the game. It's doing a very effective job at that. And I did acknowledge early on that it would do that because it's pretty obvious what was extending games all this time, despite all of their other efforts to shorten games. Those are all crap. I even said it long before the pitch clock was really introduced. I said, really, the only way that you cut significant time out of a baseball game is if you rush pitch by pitch. Because when a pitcher takes an eternity to throw, and a lot of them do, and the batters take forever, unstrapping and restrapping their gloves and doing all this crap, taking a trip around the plate after a foul ball, if you take away that ability that happens so often throughout a game and, as a result, compiles time throughout the game, you take that away, the games will speed by. And here we go, they introduce this, and the games are barely even ever touching three hours anymore. So, like today's game, what was it, two hours and ten minutes? Started at 1.30, and they were done barely at 3.45. So there you go. But it could be assisting with Garrett Cole. It definitely could be. It could definitely be assisting in him not overthinking his stuff anymore, because Garrett Cole's got the stuff. He's an ace of almost any team in the world. He is a remarkable talent. 
I mean, we can all acknowledge this despite his giving up home run struggles in the past, and yeah, he had his rough moments last year and 21 at times as well, but I mean, for the most part, whenever you got him in a big game, he goes out there and he does the job. I mean, he's the ace. (laughs) He really is. In most games, he's going to give you a very, very good start, and then you have days like today where he's just God-tier and reminds you that he is a top arm in baseball. And shame on any of you who ever gave up on him at any point. Did I have my times when he was frustrating me? Yeah, of course. But you just hope he figures it out. You're not going to give up on the guy. Especially not after all you've committed to him. So, with Garrett Cole, with how he has started 2023... Maybe the pitch clock is helping him out. Maybe not having the long hair is not helping him out anymore. Maybe it's a little bit of both, but either way, especially if it's the long hair thing, you cut your hair as short as you want, King Cole, because if that has anything to do with it, then my God, cut it as short as you want, because this is a start for the ages so far. Through four starts, he's looking like he's amongst the best on the planet right now, which, yes, I believe he always has been, at least ever since he went to Houston all the way to now, but... He is starting off this season in unbelievable fashion, no matter how you want to spin it. There's not much at all negative that you could say about Cole this year so far in 2023. You could talk about his occasional struggles and his home run difficulties in years past, but even then, even those years, he came up big time in big games most of the time, the vast majority of the time, and to start this year, good Lord Almighty, Garrett Cole is reminding everyone that he is the ace indeed. So there's three names that I wanted to pop off right off the bat there to start the episode that have really been eye-openers to start 2023. And obviously there are others doing well out there, but just the really, I I wouldn't want to say unexpected ones, but obviously Volpe is a big topic, even though he hasn't fully put it together, especially statistically with the bat yet, but he's doing plenty of other things great. Franchi Cordero coming out of nowhere. And yeah, you expect it of Cole, but I mean, he's doing doing such a great job. You got to mention him. So just three names right off the bat there. Also something big that's gone on with the Yankees overall since they started the season and is still going on right now today as they officially... Got the split in the series against the Twins, did not lose the series. This streak continues on. But after the Guardians series in particular, they did win their first four series to start the year for just the fifth time in their 121-year history. How about that statistic? Isn't that crazy that you think how many years the Yankees have been around, even back to the days where they were the New York Highlanders and... They have only won the first four series of the season five times now. That shows you how cool of an accomplishment that is. And I guess the series streak is not necessarily dead yet. It hasn't continued. It's still at four because they just split a series, but they didn't lose the series. So I guess if they win this next upcoming series starting on Tuesday against the Angels, the Angels are coming to town, I guess it would be, you know, they haven't lost a series yet. You could say they've won five of the last six at that point. But even that one wasn't a series loss. It was just a split. So that shows you how effective the Yankees are as they go into tomorrow's off day being 10-6 and six now. So that's a really cool little stat to give there as far as how hot they've started off with winning series. And that's the goal throughout the season. That's generally what you want, right? You want to win the series. That's You're not going to win... All of the games throughout a season. You're never going to see a team go 162-0. and 
even though the Rays are making things a bit interesting, having gone 13-0. They finally lost this weekend series against the Blue Jays in Toronto, and they're now 14-2. But you're never going to see a team go completely undefeated. It's too long a season. It's a marathon. So the main goal in mind is take the series and move on. Obviously sweep it if you can. But otherwise, just take the series. That's what's most important. So the Yankees have done that. They've won four in a row, and they just got off a split. And what's really annoying is, again, they really could have won the series had Clay Holmes not had a meltdown on Friday night. And I will definitely get to talking about him later as well and my thoughts on him. But nonetheless, give the Twins credit. They still won that game, and they managed to get a split on the road, which is not, you know, worst things can happen, especially if you're the road team. You get a split, that's not the worst thing in the world. So, that's the deal right now with the Yankees. They're 10-6, and six, but otherwise, there is a lot, and this is where the episode title is stemming from today, guys. There's a lot of roster and injury chaos, and we know from right from the beginning, even when I spoke to you two weeks ago during opening weekend, that there are already plenty of injuries on this team. Well, even more have happened now, especially even just today with... All the crap going on. There's been a flurry of roster moves, more injuries coming in, more injury news coming in. So I guess I'll just give you a rundown mainly of all the roster moves, all the chaos that's happened. My God. So <laughs> if you want to go back to a couple of weeks ago, the Yankees did bring up Ian Hamilton, who's made quite the impression so far with that slider changeup pitch that they seem to have called the Slombio, I think it was, because of how they call the change of cambio in Spanish, I believe that it is. So the slambio, that pitch that he introduced, that was being talked about a lot, but he was brought up for Brito being sent down, as we remember. And also, as we remember, we spoke about two weeks ago, was Florial. He was DFA'd, obviously, and I said, you know, he'll have to go through waivers, and maybe if nobody takes him, he'll be back in AAA for the Yankees. And that's exactly what happened. I guess nobody wanted him, so he was outrighted back to AAA. And then the day before Easter, there was even a bigger flurry of roster moves. A lot of stuff happened. So here is the rundown of what happened the day before Easter with Johnny Brito having been recalled right after from AAA. They placed Donaldson on the IL retroactive to the sixth with his hamstring strain. Loisega, there's another piece of injury news to the injured list. And I got to tell you this, I mean, it's not a good sign for him. He has right elbow inflammation. You never want to hear that. But he was placed on the 15-day injured list retro to the 6th as well, like Donaldson was. And they even said it on the Yankee broadcast today again that, unfortunately, Loisica is still a long ways away, despite him being placed on the injured list over a week ago now. But uh, while he was having that piece of gum on his head. It looked like a gum bubble on his head, and he didn't notice it for a while. They're playing a prank on him. It's really funny in today's game in the dugout. But while he had that thing on his head, they were talking about how, unfortunately, he's still not anywhere near coming back. He's still got a ways to go. But it's such a frustrating situation with Luizaga. And I've said this so many times already, and I'll reiterate it. But everybody's always out here talking about amidst especially when someone like Clay Holmes does what he does in the bullpen when he just is all over the place and can't figure it out everybody gets into the discussion of who they trust most in the bullpen and who they would ideally have as the closer now consistent fans of mine and consistent listeners of mine know that I have my answer to this question but there's just one problem with my answer and I've acknowledged that from day one 
But my answer to that question as to who's the most effective out of that bullpen to me has always been my boy Johnny Lowe. I love the Wiseco. But the problem is, and the reason why you can't commit to him as your closer, and I've acknowledged this as well, is that every year he just seems to have that annual one month or so IL stint, whether it be his shoulder or his elbow, regardless, he just seems to not be able to avoid the injured list. He's always hurt every year, no matter how long it's for, even if it's just for a couple of weeks or if it's for a month or two months, he always seems to miss a chunk of time each year. And it's a shame. It really is because I think he has the best stuff in that bullpen. That really sharp fastball that he throws so hard, that slider, that even incorporated a changeup that's devastating. I just think he's a really effective arm out there. But if he can't stay healthy, that's a big problem. It's a really big issue. So I just really wish the guy could stay healthy because if he could, I really think it's an easy answer out in that bullpen for who the Yankee closer should be. But here we go again. It's another IL stint. Hopefully with the right elbow inflammation news that it doesn't end up being something as devastating as Tommy John because otherwise you're not seeing him again for this year. So, hope it's not that. Hope he's just back in maybe a couple of weeks. That would be the best case scenario, I think, because really Meredith made it sound like on the broadcast today that he's still got a ways to go. So, I just hope that goes by as fast as possible because the Yankees can definitely use his arm. Love Johnny Lowe, and I hate seeing him land on the injured list again. This was also when they brought up Willie Calhoun. They signed him to a major league contract and selected him to the roster and transferred Tommy Canely to the 60-day injured list. So I guess his revamping up process is not going as planned. I know they were giving him cortisone shots for that bicep issue, the bicep tendonitis, I believe it was. But I guess it's not going well. I guess they're just continuing to put him on ice some more, and that's going to delay his coming back some more. So... Probably not going to see him for a bunch of more weeks, Tommy Canely, which stinks because I was really looking forward to seeing his resurgence with the Yankees, but going to have to wait a bit longer for that, to say the least. So the bullpen injury difficulties continue in particularly. And then just a few days ago, Colton Brewer, who's mostly actually done a pretty decent job, except for the other night, coming in, giving up a couple of home runs after Johnny Brito's meltdown, which again, we'll get to that in a few minutes as well. But he gave up a couple home runs there. But otherwise, he had done a nice job in the couple of appearances he had. He was DFA'd, and Greg Weissert was brought back up. So we'll see if Brewer can make it through waivers like Florial did if he's not grabbed. If he is not grabbed, then he'll be outrighted back to AAA. So this is unfortunately what happens when you're out of options, minor league options. But if you can make your way back into the system and the Yankees would really want that, then that's good for them. Otherwise, they'll be grabbed by another team, but Weissert is back nonetheless. As far as other injury updates when it comes to some of the bigger names that the Yankees are eagerly awaiting, along with their fans, obviously, Carlos Rodon is set to throw tomorrow as he continues his road back. They're starting to think that his comeback's going to be really towards the start of May now, probably not in April, so that stinks. So at least a couple more weeks without Rodon, it sounds like, because... He was also having those that slight back problem, which they didn't really see as a setback at all in his coming back, but they mentioned he was having some back problems. So hopefully at the latest we see him back at the start of May because I'm really eagerly awaiting him. I've been dying to see how he does as a Yankee. So Bader, Harrison Bader is close to starting his rehab assignment. They're thinking at some point this coming week as well. So 
definitely can't wait for him to come back, and it's definitely going to be interesting to see what the Yankees do roster-wise when he comes back as well. Severino's working his way back, too. He threw a bullpen session today, apparently, and he will throw to live batters next, so he's continuing his road back. That'd be awesome if we could see Severino maybe by the end of April, maybe or maybe the beginning of May, like Rodon as well. See what happens with that. The Yankees could really use them back because my patience with Clark Schmidt as a starter, specifically as a starter, um, is damn near zero, if not already there. So the Yankees could really afford to get these guys back. Josh Donaldson. (laughs) He'll likely be playing in a rehab game on Tuesday with the Somerset Patriots. They were talking about this today. And he could be back as soon as Wednesday. So just a couple more days for him. We'll be seeing what the corresponding roster move that comes with that ends up being, and they mentioned this a lot in the Yankee broadcast today, so I wouldn't be surprised if, unfortunately, Oswald Peraza is sent back down. He was just called up today with today's most recent injury news because Jack Curry was saying that. They were saying that on the play-by-play broadcast. Boone even alluded to that in today's press conference. So with Peraza having just been called back up, he'll probably be sent right back down when Donaldson comes back. And, and listen... If they're just going to play around with Peraza like this, I've said this before, but i got to say it again. He's just going to constantly send him down and bring him back up according to injuries and roster moves happening. When I've been pretty vocal about the fact that I feel he should be getting consistent playing time up here whenever possible, but is instead getting blocked, then, like I said before, then they should probably just work out a trade for him. I know it's still early on and we're yet to see how things go. Anything can happen throughout the baseball season. I'm aware of this. I've been watching baseball for about 15 years now. I know the deal. You don't got to explain it to me like I'm four years old. But my point is, depending on how it goes, just want to reiterate that this guy, in my humble opinion, does not belong in the minors for an extended amount of time. I know it gets him consistent at-bats as opposed to just sitting on the bench up here, but he doesn't belong down there for an extended amount of time, guys. And he also just doesn't deserve to be jerked around like this. I mean, they called him up today, and they didn't even find a spot for him in the lineup today. So, I don't know what's going to happen over the course of the next couple of days. They have the day off tomorrow, then Tuesday. Maybe he could find his way into the lineup then. But if this is the plan going forward long-term throughout most over the entire season, maybe, which, again, we don't know. But then just freaking trade him if you value someone like Josh Donaldson, an aging veteran no longer effective with the bat over him. Just stop messing up kid players. That's all I ask. And yeah, Donaldson's just coming back from injury. We'll see how he does. Doesn't have very many plate appearances this year yet and seem to make some improvements. I know, I know. Still good with the glove, I know. But these are my beliefs for Peraza going forward when it comes to an extended amount of time. Like, if this is the deal come June, July, and, you know, Donaldson is still continuing to either get hurt or not play up to par, and he's just he's just blocking someone like Peraza, and you're only going to bring up Peraza when another injury happens and not even really play him, if this is the approach going forward long-term, if it ends up being the approach, they, they've got to find a way to work out some sort of a trade because... It's just not what he deserves. It's not. Sorry. That's just my opinion on it. But when it comes to Peraza, having been called up today, should give that latest piece of injury news that just happened today. Unfortunately, and I'm so upset about this, and I know a lot of you, you've even messaged me, you've 
responded to my tweets and whatnot. A lot of you thought of me right away because you know how much I love this guy and how frustrated I get when he gets hurt. And unfortunately, it happens a lot. No denying it. But Giancarlo Stanton. I am so sad. Back to the injured list with a hamstring injury. Now, I was at the game yesterday. And he hit that long double that I none of us could believe didn't make it out. It missed by a couple of feet. Almost looked like it went through the visitor's bullpen wall <laughs> out there in Death Valley in Yankee Stadium. But it seemed like it, he thought it was a home run at first, and he was sort of just trotting out of the box. And then he realized that he had to make it to second base and had to accelerate it a little bit. And I didn't see this in live time. It really seemed like a lot of people at the game with me didn't see it in live time. None of us said anything, so everybody alongside me in live time must have missed it too. I must have missed it. But he apparently, when he was pulling into second, started gimping a little bit and had a quick grab at his left hamstring. So I was coming into today having woken up to this news thinking that there was really no indication of him having been hurt. Obviously, he's gotten off to an incredible start in 2023, which makes this sting even more than it already does in general. But I thought there was no indication of it. And then I watched the replay, which I I didn't get to see yesterday. I just saw it in live time when the double happened, and none of us caught it in live time, at least none of the people I was with. And I was with a lot of people yesterday. But he apparently grabbed at it, and he's on the injured list. They didn't really have much information today pregame with how severe it is. He's getting an MRI today, so I guess we'll get this information pretty soon. Maybe even we could get it before I stop recording here, and then I'll give you an update right here on Yapping Yankees about how severe it is. But especially because they have an off day tomorrow, they might just hold off the info until tomorrow. Who knows what they're going to do. But regardless, he's on the injured list. You hope it's for as short a time as possible. Because, for instance, like in 2021... When he was healthy for like 90% of the year. I believe that was when he had a quads issue. Issue with his quads, I believe. And he was back in like under two weeks. So, hopefully it's something like that. And it's just quick. You hope. I think it's like the seventh IL stint now. Since 2019 for him. It's not good. They even gave a staggering statistic on the Yankee pregame today with uh, Bob Lorenz and Jack Curry. I think... Bob Lorenz was the one who said it when they showed the graphic on the TV with all the injuries he's had since 2019 because in 2018 when he first came here, he didn't have injuries that year. He was fine. But 2019 started it all with the injuries with him. And I think they said after calculating all of the games, all the time he's been here on the Yankees and all the games he's actually played, I believe for about 40% of that of his time with the Yankees, He's been on the injured list. That's an ugly statistic. And even as big a supporter of Stanton as me, you got to acknowledge that. You can't deny facts. The numbers are there. 40% of the time on the injured list? That's, That's rough. And again, the shame of it is that makes it so frustrating is how great Stanton is when he's on the field. And we know what might happen after this because we've seen this habit play out as well. But when he misses some time, he often comes back really sluggish and has to take a few weeks to get back into the swing of things. And he's God tier again after that. It's a frustrating process to have to watch. I can't imagine how frustrating it is to have to go through in his shoes. But it just sucks, guys. 
because when he's healthy and he's out there, John Carlos Stanton, it goes without saying, is a top-tier talent. Look at the way he started the season. He's been great. People were worrying about him in spring training because he was barely getting any hits. Just wait till the season starts. It started, he's great, and now he goes to the injured list again. It's really, really frustrating. I am one of the bigger Stanton supporters out there. I've always loved Stanton. I think he's an elite hitter. I think he'd be one of the better power hitters in generations if it weren't for his inability to stay healthy, which really stinks. You really hate to see great talent being held back by their bodies. It really is. It's a shame when that happens. It's bad for the sport. It's bad for the players themselves. And it's bad for their teams, obviously, because they lose out in having them contribute. It just sucks. The whole thing sucks. So basically what I'm doing here is I'm just praying to the heavens that this IL stint is not long for Stanton because I need my boy back out there and I just want to see him continuing to mash baseballs. Even on this play that had happened on yesterday, he had just hit a long double. Like he's kicking ass. And then his hamstrings got a bite at him. And it's mostly been lower body issues that he has sustained with his injuries in his time with the Yankees. It's A lot of it's been lower body stuff. Calf, hamstring, quads. Just crap, man. It's annoying. And you got to know he's pissed off too. And yeah, there are a lot of fans out there probably saying, Oh, please, Mike. He's not pissed off. He's making his millions. He's fine. I know a lot of people out there. And yeah, maybe... Maybe that's true to some degree. Obviously, they're still making their money even when they're hurt. Sure. But I can't imagine that's what a competitor like Giancarlo Stanton thinks. Because you even see his mentality. You hear what he says. For instance, whenever he doesn't come through, the guy holds himself the hell accountable. He's just different. He wants to do well. He wants to contribute. He he doesn't want to just have a free ride. He wants to be out there mashing baseballs, bro. So... And then I got to have my old Twitter timeline talking about how he's made of glass, makes one step this way, breaks his leg, and, you know, just ragging on the guy. And yeah, listen, it's not entirely incorrect when you're talking about how unhealthy he is and how much of a problem it is. I'm not telling you to deny the truth. If anybody's in support of the truth and telling it like it is, it's me. And I'm not going to be a hypocrite like that just because I'm talking about a player I love like Stanton. But it's just so annoying to have to see my timeline filled with that because... People can deny it all they want. Stanton goes through his cold streaks and has his ugly swings like anybody. But people can deny it all they want. When he's out there, a lot of the time, he is mashing baseballs and he is just like Superman. 2020 playoffs. 2021 season. 2018 season was fine too. Kicking ass to start here in 2023. The guy is a very important asset to this team. No matter which way you want to spin it. Doesn't matter. You can say he's always hurt, as annoying as it is for a fan of his like me to listen to. Yes, he's always hurt. You're correct about that. But I just hate having to listen to it, not only because I'm a big fan of his, but because it's such a big loss and having to see someone of his talent be held back by his body. It sucks. So, that's why Peraza was called up today. Unfortunately, especially because Peraza's an infielder, he'll probably, like I said before, be the first to be sent back down. Once Donaldson returns in the middle of this week, which is likely to happen barring some sort of setback, but 
So Donaldson will probably be back amidst the series with the Angels. That'll be played from Tuesday to Thursday. He'll probably be back on Wednesday. And that's the deal with that. So you all know my feelings with Peraza. I've already said that. But he'll probably be first to go. But otherwise, guys, outside of doing the regular weekly recap, that's basically the big talking points, a lot of the big talking points for the Yankees coming into today and even coming out of today because at this point, we're heading towards the evening here on Sunday. It's almost 6 o'clock at the time I'm taping now. And that's the deal. So with all of that Yankees news being given, what do you say we talk about the specific details in the games and go through weekly recap? Fire up that yapping Yankees time machine. Let's go back to when we spoke last, which was just before that Philly series. Let's do it. Alrighty, folks. So obviously last time we spoke was on the second. So let's pick it up from the third. That game against the Phillies, the first game after the Giants series on opening weekend. The Yankees took this game by a score of 8-1 to one to start that series. Nestor was on the mound, did give up 7 hits, but he went 5 innings of just 1 run ball, 3 strikeouts, a nice start for him for the most part. And the bullpen was able to hold it down going scoreless for the 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth innings with Ian Hamilton, Luazga, and Holmes combining for that. As far as the runs scored on that day, First run scored on a Stanton RBI ground out. Glaber Torres with an RBI single after that. Then Glaber got a solo shot after that, his second of the year at the time, as he continues to kick ass as well. Love how Glaber's looked. And then in the bottom of the fifth, Anthony Rizzo hit a two-run shot. Cordero, Franchi Cordero with a two-run double. And I mentioned him as one of the big eye-openers, at least to start the season here, and my apology to him. <laughs> so, And then Jose Trevino added on an eighth run with an RBI single of his own. Yankees took that game 8-1. to one. Unfortunately, they would lose the next game by a score of 4-1. to one. Herman started this game for the Yankees, went four and two-thirds, allowed four runs, did strike out eight, but overall did not look great. The bullpen didn't allow any runs after that between King, Albert Abreu, and Jimmy Cordero, but Herman's four runs were all it took as the offense was also quiet that night, only scoring one run in the bottom of the ninth, down four to nothing on a solo shot by DJ LeMayhew. So they ended up losing that game four to one, but would come back on Wednesday to take the series best two out of three. As we said, the Yankees have that really good streak of not having lost a series since the start of the season. And that was the same case with this series against the Phillies. But they would end up grabbing the third game of the series by a score of 4-2. to Garrett Cole's on the mound. And again, as we've said with how fantastic a start he's gotten off to, went six and a third, only allowed one run. And that wasn't even really fully on him. It was partially on him, of course. He had a pitch clock violation. And then Luizga came in and that run ended up coming around to score. So the run was charged to him. Otherwise, when he was actually on the mound physically, did not allow anything. Six and a third, did walk three people, three hits, and eight strikeouts. He did get the win on the day. It made him 2-0 and oh at the time. And the Yankees' four runs were scored on a Glaber Torres RBI single in the bottom of the first. Another RBI single by him in the bottom of the sixth. That made it 2 to nothing. And then up 2-1, to one, Jose Trevino with some insurance runs. A two-run shot driving home Oswaldo Cabrera as well. That was Trevino's first of the season. And then after allowing one run on a solo shot in the top of the eighth to Schwarber, the Yankees 
sealed the deal, won 4-2, and took the series best 2 out of 3 against the Phillies. Thursday, it was supposed to be the start of a three-game weekend set against the Orioles in Baltimore. Thursday's game got rained out, though, postponed due to inclement weather. So, they originally had the off day set for Friday. Good thing they did, because then they just played on Friday. Now, this was on Good Friday, and I was in mass for about the first half or so of this game, so I missed a chunk of it. But from what I do know, obviously, I end up finding out all the details later, obviously, but... In live time, there was a chunk of it that I missed. Clark Schmidt did get the start. Again, did not look ideal. Three and a third, five hits, four runs, three walks, and just three strikeouts. Did not look great. Again, it's just been really tough watching him as a starter. I have really emphasized that I feel he is better off as a long reliever, but there are also people out there who are just really... Reminded me that the Yankees had confidence in him for years to be a big-time starter in this rotation. I shouldn't give up so quickly. Maybe they end up being right. Maybe I end up being right. I don't know. All I know is that watching him be a starter to start the season so far, granted it's only been a handful of starts, has not been pleasant. And it continued in Baltimore. And we'll have to see if it continues in two days, too, because he's set to get the start against the Angels in the first game of that three-game set on Tuesday the 18th. But regardless... This first game in Baltimore was really wild, and the Yankees really could have won this one. The thing about the games the Yankees have lost so far, obviously the first 16, they've only lost six of them. Uh, The vast majority of them have been in Schmidt and Hermann's starts, but a lot of the losses, you know, like some of them you'd be like, all right, it's just, you know, it's whatever. That's a game that they, you know, you feel confident, like, yeah, they just got outplayed. It is what it is, but... A lot of games you feel like in these losses, a few of them, you feel like the Yankees really could have gotten the win. And that's that's the name of baseball throughout the season. A lot of games you feel like you maybe stole from the other team, and a lot of games that you really feel like you should have won, but you didn't. I think even Jack Curry said that on the pre- or post-game a few days ago. That that's just part of the season. And he's right. And this game was definitely one of those that you really feel the Yankees really could have won this game. A lot of back-and-forth action in this one. Bottom of the second, the Orioles jumped out to a 2-0 lead. And then the top of the fourth, when the Yankees were down 4-0, you're really starting to feel the Orioles starting to pull away because Schmidt just would not stop giving up runs. But then, Franchi Cordero, this was really the start of people starting to have their eyes open by him. But he had a three-run shot into right center field, driving home Trevino and Cabrera. And before you know it, the Yankees are back in the ballgame. It's 4-3. And then in the top of the sixth, they actually jumped out in front with Oswaldo Cabrera. Hitting a two-run double. And as I was saying at the time, there really just is no excuse for sitting this kid, especially if it's for someone like Aaron Hicks at this point, because he comes through. I love Oswaldo. I've been a big fan of his since they bought him up last year. So, two-run double. Go ahead, two-run double for him to put them ahead 5-4. to And this was really where I wish the Yankees just really... They just held it down and sealed the deal because it was such a good comeback. Yeah, they're only down by four runs. Not unbelievable, but they really... It, they really started to like chip away at it. Fran- Franchi Cordero with his big home run that nobody saw coming, and then Oswaldo with this big hit. It was just a cool comeback. Then, unfortunately, Adley Rushman, who has just gotten off to a really good start. Another rookie, by the way, if you want to talk about other kids who first came up and had big expectations about them, but really struggled upon first coming up. And I mentioned Jeter even being one of them at the start of his career to back up my confidence in Anthony Volpe. Rushman's another one. But he's really found his stride in the major leagues. Now off to a hell of a start for the Orioles, being their young star catcher. He tied the game with an RBI single himself in the bottom of the sixth. That tied the game at five. 
And then in the bottom of the seventh, Ramon Arias put the Orioles back ahead on an RBI double, putting them in front 6-5. And then after the Orioles added on another run, after Jimmy Cordero threw a horrible pitch, a wild pitch, he looked terrible in this game, threw multiple wild pitches within just a couple of minutes, and he was just all over the place. Did not a good, Not a good appearance for Cordero at all. But after the Orioles jumped out in front 7-5, to five, it was the top of the 8th now, and the Yankees came out again, and it really looked like they were getting ready to mount another comeback. Runners on the corners, nobody out, and Oswaldo Cabrera again with an RBI single, coming through again, making it 7-6. to six. And at this point, it was 1st and 2nd, nobody out, with Glaber on 2nd, and Trevino was up. You were feeling real good if you're the Yankees, but then Trevino grounded into a double play, Urias got the force at third and then got Trevino down at first, and that just really killed the rally as Isaiah Conner-Falefa struck out after that. He is off to a brutal start offensively. I will say it's been entertaining to watch him in the outfield as he's actually not done a bad job, and he actually appeared on the mound in the blowout the other day, and then after he pitched a scoreless inning, believe it or not, yeah, Isaiah Conner-Falefa, zero ERA as a pitcher officially. But after he was done, he motioned the umpires to come and check his hands. I, <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny. But otherwise, especially with the bat, he has gotten off to a rough start, IKF. I mean, who could have seen that happening? But that was a crushing blow to not take the lead back in that inning after it was really looking like they were getting set to again in the top of the eighth. And then in the top of the ninth, Volpe struck out. LeMahieu struck out, and then Judge, after reaching on a walk, found himself at third base with Rizzo up, and Rizzo flew out. So, couldn't drive in that tying run, and they lost 7-6. to six. Really tough loss for the Yankees that day. Especially after originally mounting a nice comeback, thanks to Franchi Cordero and Oswaldo Cabrera at first. Came back on Saturday and got themselves a nice win, though. And starting on Saturday was Johnny Brito for his second Major League start after looking really good after his first one. And he came out against the Orioles and looked really good again. Only three hits, one run, two walks, and two strikeouts, five innings of one-run ball, earning his second victory in the process as well. Michael King came in and pitched two scoreless innings. Juani Peralta came in and pitched a scoreless inning as well as Clay Holmes, and he earned his second save of the year at the time. So other than just that one run that Brito allowed, as far as the Yankees scoring... In the top of the fourth, believe it or not, when they were down one nothing, you want to talk about dip me in butter and roll me in nuts. My God. Aaron Hicks tying the game on an RBI single, just about the only thing he's done offensively this year so far. But game through, I'll give it to him. Tied the game at one. Top of the fifth, DJ. Go ahead, RBI double. Driving in Volpe. Made it two to one Yankees. Judge hit a sacrifice fly, made it three to one. And Stanton hit a mammoth shot into left center field, his third home run of the year at the time. I'll miss you, Giancarlo. He made it 4-1 to one with that solo shot, and that was the final. Rubber game matchup on Sunday on Easter. Last Sunday, exciting game, fun stuff. Cortez on the mound again, and he had himself a good start. He started to fall off a bit there when he was in the middle of the sixth inning, but his final pitching line was five and a third, four hits, two runs, two walks, and five strikeouts. Not a bad start at all, and it was enough to get him the win. Albert Abreu and Marinaccio combined for an inning and two-thirds scoreless after he was done. Jimmy Cordero pitched the eighth, allowed one run and struck out two, and Clay Holmes closed it down for his third save of the year in the ninth. As far as the Yankees scoring their five runs... 
It started off in the top of the first with Giancarlo getting an RBI single right away. Made it one to nothing. Aaron Judge with his third home run of the year in the top of the third. Solo shot made it two to nothing. Top of the fifth, Franchi Cordero again, baby. Two-run shot. His second of the year made it four to nothing. And then in the bottom of the sixth was when the Orioles got on the board against Nestor. This was really, again, the time where Nestor started to fall off a bit, and they took him out of the game. Santander got a two-run double off of him. And then in the top of the eighth, Aaron Judge, with some insurance, up 4-2, to two, hits a solo shot, his fourth of the year, made it 5-2. to two. And then the final, after Cordero gave up the home run to Rushman in the bottom of the eighth, was 5-3 Yankees getting the W and taking the series in Baltimore as well. And then after Easter, now this is officially this past week's games. They went to Cleveland to continue their road trip. And the first game in Cleveland, again, another game that was pretty frustrating. And I really thought, especially after the top of the first, they jumped out with two runs, did the Yankees on a two-run double by Stanton. I thought that it was going to be, despite the fact that Herman was the one on the mound, I had hoped that the Yankee offense would continue and just keep on scoring runs, maybe get Herman a good amount of runs to work with, and this would be a good win to start the series, but that's not what happened, because those would be the only runs the Yankees scored on the night, and after that, Cleveland just like slowly chipped away. After a fielding error by Domingo Herman, Will Brennan eventually got a sacrifice fly to make it 2-1. to one. Mike Zanino had a game-tying RBI double. He was just doubles galore that night. Really frustrating. Zanino in the past has really just killed the Yankees offensively, where he's just known to not really be a big offensive force. But he kills the Yankees, that's for sure, even going back to his Tampa Bay Rays days. But he tied the game at two there. And then a sack fly by Naylor gave them a 3-2 lead. And then at the top of the eighth, the Yankees blew a leadoff triple by Glaber Torres which is really frustrating. Had a runner on third, nobody out, and they weren't able to drive him in to at least tie the game. And then Classe came in at the top of the ninth and just made easy work of the Yankees, and Cleveland won 3-2. to two. So frustrating start to the series. Frustrating start for Herman. And of everyone who pitched, only three pitchers using this game between Herman, Brewer, and Ian Hamilton. Hamilton had himself a rough inning there in the end. In that seventh inning, Brewer actually saved the bullpen for the most part because Herman only went three freaking innings. And then Brewer went three innings after that and didn't allow any runs. Only allowed one hit and a walk. So, again, big appearance for Brewer. He really helped things out there. Could have been worse, but especially frustrating was the Yankees not able to get that run and that leadoff triple by Glaber. That was really annoying. So, they ended up losing that game 3-2. to two. Not an ideal start to the series, but... Again, this would end up being a series that they would take anyway, so that's good. And given what happened the next night, the Yankees must have been pretty pissed off about how the night prior went. So, because <laughs> they came out the next day and won 11-2. to <laughs> One on the mound was Garrett Cole. And similarly to how Shane Bieber's start went the night prior, Garrett actually looked to not have his best stuff right away in the bottom of the first inning because Cleveland did tag him for two runs. On an RBI double by Jose Ramirez and a sack fly by Josh Naylor. And it really seemed like they could have gotten Garrett Cole out of the game early, but then they let him settle down. And before you knew it in this game, Garrett Cole was able to go seven innings, only allowing five hits overall, two runs, two walks, and three strikeouts. He actually got it together. And it was very similar with Shane Bieber in the first game when they opened up early, the Yankees did, on that big hit by Stanton, two-run double. 
Could have easily added on a lot more and gotten Bieber out of the game early, but they allowed him to settle in, and the offense just died. That's exactly what happened to the Guardians the next day, so eerily familiar in starts between Bieber and Cole, but... It happened the way it did, and those would be the only two runs, just like the Yankees again in the first inning the day prior, that the Guardians would score. Because then after that, the Yankees just had an offensive onslaught between an RBI single with Trevino in the top of the second, top of the third, RBI single by Willie Calhoun tied the game at two, and then from here on out, the Yankees didn't look back. Oswaldo Cabrera, sacrifice fly, Franchi Cordero, three-run homer again. <laughs> Making his presence known, 6-2 to two Yankees. Anthony Rizzo, who I do have to say, Anthony's kicking ass to start the season. I love it. You guys know how big a Rizzo fan I am. Big fan of this, watching him kick ass to start 2023. RBI single for him made it 7-2. to two. Glaber Torres grounding into a double play, drove in another run. DJ LeMahieu to be specific. Anthony Rizzo added on in the top of the 6 with an RBI single, made it 9-2. to two. Wild pitch by Curry. Drove home Judge, made it 10-2 after that. And the top of the ninth, grounding into a double play, was Willie Calhoun driving in Anthony Rizzo for the 11th and final run of the game, giving the Yankees the 11-2 victory. And then on Wednesday was the rubber game matchup in Cleveland. Starting this game for the Yankees was again Mr. Clark Schmidt. Four innings, six hits, three runs, one walk, and three strikeouts was his final line with one home run, obviously. One of the better of his starts, if you had to say. Of course, it's not really saying too much because there hasn't really been a really effective start from him yet, and more so than anything, kind of doomed the bullpen again, only going four innings. So, unfortunately, under Clark's watch, after the first four innings, the Yankees did find themselves down three to nothing. But guys, there's a much bigger story to tell here because this game was freaking crazy from the get-go. I mean, I couldn't even comprehend what was going on. I had to watch this at work because it was a day game, but... (laughs) I mean, this was nuts. Between what happened in the first inning with the whole Aaron Hicks thing and and the whole challenging debacle and and then even what happened later on with the umpire getting drilled in the face on the relay throw back into the infield. Oh my god. Just crazy. And what even happened just as the final result of the game with the Yankees getting the win, it was just crazy. So, in that first inning, pretty much, the Yankees were thought to have gotten out of a jam that Schmidt had worked himself into in the bottom of the first. And after the top of the first, you would hope that that was, you know, that was the deal because the Yankees did lead off the game with an Anthony Volpe double, but then didn't score. So you were hopefully, you know, at least hoping to go to the second inning still scoreless, but that is not what happened. So with runners on second and third and one out, Naylor hit a fly ball to center and Hicks was in center that day. He was running in. And he appeared to make a nice diving play going forward. He caught it in a really weird way, though. shouldn't say caught it because he didn't. But it was a really weird diving attempt. And then after replay, it turned out that he had trapped it. So it wasn't a catch because when he had made the, or supposedly made the play, he threw back to second because on second base was Jose Ramirez and they thought to have doubled him off after the catch. Quote-unquote catch. But they didn't because it was a trap ball. And... It turned out that Cleveland would end up scoring. It was one to nothing after that. Now, the problem with this was, and Aaron Boone got himself ejected over it, was it seemed like 
There was no challenge issued. Usually the managers have about 15 seconds, I believe it's 15 seconds, to challenge a call after it happens. It didn't seem like Terry Francona on the Guardian's end even signaled to challenge. And it seemed like after that play had happened, everybody was already off the field. Clark Schmidt was probably down in the tunnels already, if anything. And they were getting ready for the next half inning to start. They were going to the top of the second as far as they were concerned. 15 seconds had long since passed for any challenge to be issued, but then I guess they were showing the play up on the scoreboard in, in the stadium, and the crowd reaction, I guess, caught the attention of the umpires, which is the best of our understanding, and the umpires basically congregated, reviewed the call, and it was overturned. And Boone's argument seemed to be like, hey, they didn't challenge after 15 seconds, why is there a challenge going down? And it seemed like the only reason you guys saw was the replay on the scoreboard and the crowd reaction got you to pay attention to it, and nobody issued a challenge from their side, what the hell is going on here, my team's already off the field, why was that overturned? Now, objectively, yeah, the umpires got the call right, that's what you want, it was a trap play, but my problem is, if the umpires can just congregate and order a review and overturning a call all on, all on their own based on the crowd reaction or what have you, but meanwhile the teams only have 15 seconds to challenge, but the umpiring crew can congregate, review, and even overturn a call all on their own when both teams have basically made their way fully off the field already and are getting ready for the next half inning. If they could do that, yet the teams are rushed to make a challenge, and the other side apparently doesn't even have to make a challenge, what are we doing with the 15-second rule with the teams? Are we just going to, I know the umpires have the end-all be-all with this. If they notice that it could be overturned and they want to get the right call, they could overturn it, whatever. Fine, I guess. And it's good that they got the call right. But then why are we forcing teams to make a call within 15 seconds if the umpiring crew, no matter how long after the play has been made, can just congregate, review, and overturn a call? That's my one problem. Then what are we doing with the 15-second rule then? Why are we pressuring anybody to, within a certain time limit, make an official challenging call? It just didn't make any sense to me. That rubs me the wrong way that teams have to rush to do this challenging thing. They're all rushed, but then umpires can just do whatever the hell they want. That's my issue with it. (laughs) So, I don't know. I just think that's pretty hypocritical. If the umpires can do it whenever the hell they want, then why can't the teams? I know the umpires are the official officiating crew, but isn't the main overall important thing here getting the call right? If that's the case, then why are managers or just teams in their respective sides, why are they pressured within 15 seconds to make that official call? Shouldn't they be given all the time possible too? I would think the expiration of it is if the other team is out on the field already, like, hey, it's done with, it's whatever, let's move on. I just think that's pretty hypocritical. (laughs) So... I don't know. Now, that was my one issue with it. They got the call right ultimately, so it's whatever. But I, I just thought it was pretty silly, the whole how it went down. It was a crazy situation. Boone got ejected over it again. And they ended up adding on even another run on a Josh Bell RBI single after that. So the Yankees found themselves down 2 nothing after a lot of controversy after the first inning. And then 3 nothing later on after the third inning. Then Clark Schmidt came out of the game. And after that was when the Yankees basically got down to business. So, top of the fifth... Kyle Higashioka, he's up at the plate, and he hits a ball to center. Really long way, and it looked like it was going to go out and tie the game at three. But by feet, a matter of feet, he ends up missing a game-tying three-run shot. It ends up being a long two-run single. 
And the reason why the second run even actually came home to score was because on the relay throw back in from Andres Jimenez, or Jimenez, the ball hit the umpire, the second base umpire, Larry Vanover, who is the same one who ejected Aaron Boone a few innings prior, hit him in the head. And that was primarily what allowed that second run to score. So after what happened in the first inning, and now the ball hits him right in the head on the relay throw, what a crazy freaking game. So that made it 3-2, to two, Guardians. Yankees were still down. Top of the seventh, what added to the craziness was yet again Franchi Cordero making his presence known with a game-tying solo shot to center field. Big home run again for Cordero. Again, it comes in big moments when the scoring's really close or even tied or to even make it a tie. He just, he's been a lot of fun to watch at the plate with hitting these home runs. Clutch hits that he's been getting. Big extra base guy. It's been fun with him. Obviously, you're not going to see him hit for a very high average. You're going to see him strike out a bit, but you're also, they said you could see some power and he's showcased that. So, you know what? Again, the, the, Awesome, timely hitting by Cordero continued there in the top of the seventh. And then in the top of the ninth, Oswaldo Cabrera comes through with a huge, long RBI single driving in Glaber. Made it 4-3 to three as Oswaldo's hitting days at progressive field continue. Going back to obviously the huge home run he had in the playoffs last year there. And the Yankees would end up sealing the deal after a bottom of the ninth inning anxiety attack by Clay Holmes. <laughs> And that sealed the deal 4-3. Thursday came around. Time for the four-game weekend set against the Twins, and my God, did it not start well. Johnny Brito, third Major League start, and my boy had a meltdown. How else can you describe it? He didn't make it out of the first inning. Only got two outs, and he allowed seven runs. Seven. And then Colton Brewer came in later on, three and a third, and allowed four runs of his own after that. So just one after the other. It just felt like the Yankees had no pitching that night, at least between the first two guys. Julianne and Correa hitting the home runs off of Brewer, and ultimately, again, Brewer allowing four runs. This This was the time where he would get DFA'd after this was done. Hamilton, Cordero, and then to finish off the game, as I said before, Isaiah kiner Falefa were able to ensure that the last five innings went scoreless, <laughs> thankfully, after the onslaught early on. And the Yankee offense only scored two runs, both thanks to Anthony Rizzo on two solo shots. And they only had four hits on the whole day, and three of them were by Rizzo. So Rizzo had himself a nice night, I guess. <laughs> the Yankees got killed. 11-2, to and... They were down nearly by double digits before you even had a chance to sit down in your seat if you were there at the game, or even had a chance to sit down on your couch if you were watching from home like most. It's just a really bizarre, really quick blowout. It's just over before you knew it. Just 11 runs around the board for Minnesota after the first three innings. It's an ugly game. And then Friday was the game where, again, I really felt the Yankees should have grabbed this win. Again, there are games that you cough up that you feel like you should have gotten, and there are games you feel like, oh, maybe we stole that one. This was one that they coughed up, and they very well could have and should have won. Nestor Cortez had himself a very nice seven-inning outing, only allowing two runs, five hits, no walks, seven strikeouts. That was his final line on what should have earned him another victory, but he did not. 
And after the Yankees scored three runs, two of them right out of the gate with, again, like I mentioned earlier, Volpe with his first major league home run. Congrats to the kid. Just one of many signs of him really making better contact with the ball. And then going back-to-back with Judge right after that. Judge going deep as well, made it 2 to nothing. But after that happened, and then Stanton hit a solo shot of his own in the bottom of the sixth when the Yankees were up 3-2. to two. And this this game was really just the battle of the solo shots, by the way, up until Clay Holmes came in, because Correa in the top of the sixth before Stanton's home run hit a solo shot of his own off of Nestor. And then in the top of the seventh off Nestor as well, Kyle Garlick hit a solo shot of his own to make it 3-2. to two. So it was just a battle of the solo shots. But... Again, really good start to the game with Volpe and Judge going back-to-back, and then Stanton hitting a home run, getting the run from Correa right back, and then it was 3-2, to two, but just had a weird feel to it, but the feelings were really good to start the game, which is also why I just felt like the Yankees were going to grab this win, but then Clay Holmes came in, and this is just what has me feeling really uneasy about Clay, and I know he had some outings to start this year that were good, but... If you remember, basically the entirety of the second half of last year, yeah, he did good in the playoffs, and he has had his handful of good outings this year so far, but a lot of the time, whether it be the second half of last year, even the two or three outings this year that he's had out of the six or seven appearances that he's pitched in now this year, just a lot of nervousness with Clay Holmes, and it's a very alarming trait in a pitcher when you have someone like him who just seems to lose any and all semblance or control or knowledge of where his pitches are going a lot of the time, whether it be a slider, whether it be his hard sinker. It's alarming because when you don't know where your pitches are going, you have no control, you're all over the place. We know Clay Holmes has had a big habit of hitting guys or just the pitchers are just completely wild. And this was the case again here. I mean, that was, a, was an ugly inning he had there in the top of the eighth against the Twins. It started off with Michael A. Taylor getting a hit, and then Byron Buxton walking, and then before you knew it, the bases were loaded, and Correa, I'll give it to him, with a really nice inside-out swing, shooting one down the other way, down the right field line, but that was after a lot of wildness and chaos from Clay Holmes. The two-run double from Correa, who just kills the Yankees, I mean, not the last two days, but otherwise just continued to kill them, put them up 4-3, to three, and... The Yankees didn't end up coming back after that. Now, some blame goes to the offense, yeah, because other than the three solo shots, two of them coming all the way back in the first, the offense went largely quiet. Part of the blame falls on them as well. But the attention turns to Clay Holmes for a lot of people, including myself, because of all of the alarming outings we have seen going back to last July. And I know he did mainly find his stuff again in the playoffs. That's a big deal. I had some people mention that to me, and it is true. I won't deny that. But between the fact of his outings, a great deal of them still being anxiety attacks at the end of the day, even the scoreless ones, like the one in Cleveland the other day, that was another example. And he started out the season in his first outing, not good. And then you have the entirety of the second half of last year, so there's quite a bit of evidence here. This isn't really an overreaction or just a what have you done for me lately recency bias sort of a thing. This is quite a bit of evidence going along with this now, and I don't think... And I've said this, and I don't think the Yankees are following along with this, because even with Garrett Cole in the midst of completing his complete game shutout today, you saw him at least warming up in the bullpen, but even with the game being close, but I don't think it would hurt Clay Holmes right now to just maybe get a couple of lower leverage situations just to get his confidence back, and then you try him out in another high leverage situation and see how he does. But 
because I just feel like a lot of the time he just doesn't have command. And it's a lot of the time, it's just a nervous breakdown watching him pitch. Because when he has his stuff, his stuff is devastating. When he's on, there's almost no one tougher to touch than him. I mean, look back at the first half of last year if you want evidence of that. But when he's out of control, it's like watching a right-handed world as Chapman. And we already dumped Chapman off. It was nice to get rid of that anxiety attack. We don't need another. And yeah, Chapman's doing great with the Royals now. Good for him. Good for you, chap. In freaking credible. But you get what I'm trying to say. I'm not saying just throw Clay Holmes to the Wolves and not have him pitch in a high leverage situation ever again. I'm just saying I don't think that it would hurt him to just be in a couple of low leverage situations, maybe help him get his confidence back, get back in his groove, try to find his control again, and just figure it out from there. Because he'll walk a lot of guys, he'll hit guys with a lot of pitches, leave stuff right down the plate. He's like his own worst enemy most of the time. I just don't think putting him in a couple of low-leverage situations, lower leverage for a couple of outings maybe, I don't think it could hurt. But I don't think the Yankees are going to do that because, again, today, in case they needed him, with Garrett Cole on the mound in the ninth inning, they had Clay Holmes warming up behind him when the game was only 2 nothing. So, to say the least, I don't think the Yankees agree with that mentality, at least not right now. So, that did put the Twins ahead 4-3, to three, and they would end up winning... By that final, the Yankees could not get any more runs on the board as again, yes, it does partially fall on them as well, for sure. It looked like it could have been good in the bottom of the ninth. Franchi Cordero started it off with a hit, but then but then Waldo hit into a double play, and then Willie Calhoun just popped out. So that was the end of that rally. Really short-lived. But they lost that game 4-3, to three, and it was really baffling because you know, like there's a four-game set. We're going into Saturday. The Yankees have lost the first two to the Twins who have always notoriously been owned by the Yankees. I mean, yeah, two regular season games doesn't undo that for sure. I mean, you look at the last couple of decades and the win and loss record between the two teams, it's staggering how much the Yankees own the Twins, whether it be regular season, postseason, what have you, doesn't matter. But that just made it all the more baffling. Granted, it is just two regular season games, but like Yanks are at home against the Twins, who they usually own. It's just a bit surprising. But then Saturday, yesterday, they found their groove. Naturally, because I was at the game, of course, I bring those, you know, positive feels, and I have the guys perform better than they did the two nights before. That's just the kind of energy I bring. I don't know what to tell you. But really good game to see in person. Really happy I got the W. So I'm 1-1 one one this year at Yankee Stadium. In my return to the stadium, I'm going to be going to a hell of a lot more games. And to all the people who I got to meet up with there, whether it was my first time meeting you after interacting with you online forever, or if it was me seeing you again, I love you guys. It's been so much fun hanging with so many good people at the Yankee games this year, and it's been a while since I was there. The last time I was there was the spring of 19, as a lot of you know, but I'm making my return this year. First two games have been a blast. Even the game on, what was that, April 1st? Yeah, the game against the Giants Saturday two weeks ago. Even though they lost that game, that was a lot of fun. And I had a great time with the people I got to meet up with there. And the same thing with this game, let alone with a W. Solid win and hanging out with great people. What more could you ask for? Seriously. That's the positive aspect of the internet. Get to meet up with a lot of good people and and get to link up with people that you wouldn't have met otherwise, if not for technology. Obviously, technology and social media as a whole has its vast amount of cons to it, but this is a pro. Get to hang out with awesome people like I did yesterday and two weeks ago, and I hope to going forward a lot in the future.
because I think I'm planning to go at least to like, I don't know, maybe like 10 home games this year. I can only go on Saturdays because of my job. I'm just simply too busy, so I can only go on Saturdays. But I'm already eyeing going back on the 13th, May 13th against Tampa. I'm already eyeing that game. So we'll see what happens with that. But I am planning to go to a lot of games this year. I want to try to make it to the double digits. That's the goal. So, But again, this game, very nice win for the Yankees. Domingo Herman pitched a phenomenal game despite all the controversy with rosin on his hands. The umpires, despite giving him a lecture about how they had to wash his hands and stuff and not come out with the rosin on and not have too much or whatever the deal was, they let him stay in the game because rosin is legal. I think a lot of people, notoriously Yankee haters mainly, needed to be reminded of that. But, you know, wash his hands, whole thing happened. I worried it was going to get to his head at first, but... It didn't. He continued pitching great after that. It was his best start in a long time for Herman. Six and a third, just three hits, one run, no walks, which is new for him, and 11 strikeouts. So a terrific start for him. And Michael King, again coming out of the bullpen, two and two-thirds, scoreless. Two strikeouts, only two hits allowed. And I said this yesterday, a really under-the-radar comment for the game amongst everything else that happened. But if Michael King has figured himself out. Words cannot express how colossal that is for the Yankee bullpen. It is huge for them if he's figured it out, especially amidst, you know, the drama with Clay Holmes, the injuries they have out there. If Michael King is back after his last couple of outings, that is big for the bullpen. And he did get into some trouble early on in his outing, but got a double play to squeak out of it, pitcher's best friend, and he proceeded to have a scoreless outing almost across three innings, so great to see against the long-relieving dominant right-hander Michael King. As far as the six runs, a lot happened with the Yankee offense, you best believe it. It started off in the bottom of the second with a Kyle Higashioka two-run shot into right center field, and I actually didn't get to see this because my girlfriend and I were walking with a couple of friends of ours, and we were actually in the tunnel between right field and left field, like where center field is, because I was sitting in the short porch, and we were walking over towards center field, and we were just in the tunnel, and the home run happened while we were in the tunnel. And I thought, since Volpe was close to coming up, I didn't know who specifically was up at bat in that specific moment, but I thought Volpe was up and that we missed a Volpe home run. I was pissed at first. (laughs) But, and everyone was laughing at me. My girlfriend was laughing at me, my girlfriend Victoria, and the two friends we were with, huge shout-out to Ashley and Kaylin. Be sure to go follow them on Twitter if you have a Twitter. Ashley is at AshleyFox underscore NYY. And Kaylin is at KSnacks with a Z at the end. Be sure to go follow them if you have Twitter. Just a couple of the best people you want to hang out with, especially at a Yankee game. So much fun, but we all missed it. It was funny, but Higgy got the Yankees on the board with a solo shot. And then Rizzo hitting one not far from my section in the short porch with a solo shot. That was cool to see. 3 to nothing. Rizzo's wanting to give me a ball. I mean, you remember my story two weeks ago about how I damn near got a ball from him that he almost threw to me in foul territory in the game two weeks ago, and now he hits a home run near me. Rizzo's wanting to give me a ball, guys. It's going to happen. It's going to happen eventually. <laughs> Bottom of the fifth, DJ added on with an RBI single right down the right field line, hitting it in my direction again. That made it 4 to nothing. And then when they were up 4-1, to one, John Carlos Stanton in the bottom of the seventh. This would unfortunately be the hit that would land him on the IL because of having to accelerate getting to second base. He hit a long two-run double that everybody in the stadium and even in the Yankee dugout and Stanton himself 
based on how he left the batter's box, thought was gone, but it wasn't. Damn near got out, but it didn't. Right off of the visitor's bullpen wall, the top of the wall. And there was a two-run double made at 6-1, to one, and that was the final. And today, as I said before, Garrett Cole obviously pitching an absolute freaking gem for his fourth victory of the season. Pitched the whole game, complete game shutout, first complete game shutout for him since 21, and the first complete game shutout at Yankee Stadium since the Tanaka days. Only two hits allowed, one walk, and 10 Ks. And he is just looking as dominant as he has ever looked to start the season, is Garrett Cole reminding us who the freaking ace is. And once again, your final today was 2 to nothing. DJ LeMahieu over the Twins. And I say DJ because he drove in both runs. Got an RBI single and then a solo shot, barely at the top of the wall of the short porch. So, two runs from DJ. 2 nothing. DJ LeMahieu, the final. So, <laughs> really great game today. Cole's ERA, again, is now under one to start the season. <laughs> uh, it's crazy. All right, so that is the weekly recap, guys. Two weeks caught up. So now that we're heading towards an hour and 20 minutes already, believe it or not, what say you that we get to the social media segment for today? Since we've been gone for two weeks, I figured I'd give you guys the floor again and do another Q&A. Let's see what questions you guys came up with for me. Because I just talked your ears off for well over an hour. So let's see what you guys have to say in response to what's been going on with Yankees baseball lately. First question. Let's see. We've got at NYYSportsFan96 asking, Does Brito get sent down when Rodon and Severino return? Well, I have to imagine, yeah. Likely, because they won't really need him. I mean, I'm just saying what the Yankees will likely do. I personally would like for Brito to stay up. I think he should be the fifth starter, while only Montas would be out at that point when Rodon and Seve return. I'd like to see Brito continue to develop as a pitcher and just really take that next step in his career and see if he could really solidify that fifth spot in the rotation. That would be what I would do. But specifically because of the way the roster's constructed and because of the way the Yankees want it, they'll probably end up having him be one of the guys sent down on the roster when they return. I mean, it also depends what the deal with the roster is by then with other guys. If any other injuries happen, if anybody else comes back, like Bader's also on his way back, for instance, and Donaldson's on his way back very soon, for instance. So, like, anything could happen once Rodon and Seve return. So, I don't want to definitively say that, but if he were still here, I have to imagine that he would be one, at least one of the guys sent down for it. Yeah, unfortunately. At Laura underscore Icemont asks, are there any players that you are surprised and or disappointed with two weeks into the season? Surprised? I gotta say Franchi Cordero. <laughs> I, I would say that's probably amongst the bigger surprises for the Yankees so far. Uh, Johnny Brito, I would say, is amongst surprises despite his clunker on Thursday. But if anything, as ugly as that was to watch, and I really hate watching kids have starts like that. It just sucks to watch. But I think it's a good learning experience going forward. You know, you get that clunker out of the way and get back to business. But before that, with the fine that they had with him back in spring and with his first two starts, uh, Brito definitely caught my eye. Disappointed with, I mean, <laughs> I think it goes without saying Aaron Hicks so far. That goes without saying. And I just really think that the Yankees are being irresponsible for playing him at all at this point because I just think we know the deal with him. I think we do. 
And I think it's also becoming detrimental to him personally as well. I'm, I'm blaming the organization at that point for continuing to believe that it's okay to keep playing him because I just I just think that time is long past. So disappointed with it goes without saying him. As far as anybody else, some people might say Volpe disappointed because he hasn't necessarily gotten it going statistically with the bat yet, but I can't say that. He's still figuring it out with the bat. He's doing great in the field, and he's stealing a crap ton of bases whenever he gets on. And he, he's looking to steal 60 freaking bases this year on this current base. <laughs> it's really impressive. So definitely not Volpe. I'm, I'm having a lot of fun watching Volpe. As far as other disappointments, not really anyone outstanding. I mean, the main disappointment is all the injuries so far. That's really outside of just Aaron Hicks and maybe a little bit of Donaldson before he got hurt, although I will acknowledge that Donaldson at least noticeably made some changes, and we'll see if those changes continue to bring about any positive results to the plate when he returns, but mainly just the injuries. That really has me disappointed. It sucks that Stanton's back in the IL as of today. It sucks that we probably won't get Rodon and possibly even Seve until May. Yes, the main important part that a lot of people will say is that they're just ready to go for the playoffs, Stanton included. Yeah, that's important, but I also don't want them missing most of the freaking season. So, I'd say more so than anything, disappointments, other than guys with, you know, with it going without saying, like Aaron Hicks, I'd say just the injuries. The injuries are disappointing the hell out of me. With Lewisica, too, because I love him. So, I guess... That's a decent answer to that question for now, just right off the top of my head. If I had more time to think about it, probably even more, but... At Yankee Ken asks, Does any Yankee pitcher bean a Twins hitter with a rosin bag during Sunday's game? <laughs> now, remember, these questions are submitted on Saturday, so obviously, even though today's game already happened at the time of recording, didn't happen at the time that this question was submitted, so... No, I don't think there... Even if I answered this before the game, I would have said no, but it's a, it's a good joke. <laughs> All right, up next is at MountainGal456 asks, It seems the Yankee fans are getting on Volpe. Why do you think that is when we all heard during spring training was how he'd better make the team by the fans? Unless I'm missing something, he's looking really good. What are your thoughts on how he's doing so early in the season? Well, like I said, I think especially with the bat, I think he's going through what a lot of kids go through when they first come up, especially at his young age. He's still adjusting, but like I said before, I feel like his at-bats of late and how he's made contact with the ball lately. I feel like he's starting to come around on that, and I think his numbers will start to reflect that. But otherwise, I love some of the other things he's doing. I love his fielding so far. He's definitely a positive fielder at shortstop so far, which is a big deal, especially considering the struggles the Yankees have had at shortstop the last few years. I definitely think he's great on the base paths. Whenever he reaches base, he's always a threat to steal. as seven steals already, three yesterday alone. He's eyeing to steal a lot of bases this year so far, so I'm liking a lot of what I'm seeing so far, and I think when it finally comes together with the bat, which I think is very imminent, um, I think Volpe is going to be even funner than he already has been, so I'm I'm definitely, I'm being patient with the bat, I think we're going to be seeing results on that even more so than we have recently in recent days, and otherwise I'm having a lot of fun watching him, it's just fun watching him develop, finish his development up here as the Yankees shortstop as what was meant to be after the spring he had. That's what I've seen so far. I've been very pleased with what I've seen. Rebecca at Peace Now for Life. Shout out to Rebecca too. Met her and her daughter at the game yesterday. Two super sweet people. It was great seeing you at the game finally the other day, Rebecca. One of my bigger supporters on this show. And I know she's listening right now and probably smiling ear to ear as she is. Her and her daughter. But she asks, with guys possibly coming back off the injured list soon, like Bader, Donaldson, Rodon, Seve, 
what do you think will be the roster moves to make room? That's a good question. A lot could happen. I definitely say we see Brito sent back down at one point when it comes to certain guys coming back. I think Weissert would probably be sent back too since he's up at the moment after Brewers DFAing. Uh, for Donaldson, Peraz is probably going to go back down. And Stanton obviously got hurt. That happened just today. So that, you know, conjures up another roster question. So again, like I said, it's tough to say because anything could happen that could change something I'm saying now. Something could happen on Tuesday. And then it just changes everything. But you also have Peraza. They're probably going to send him back down when Donaldson activated probably on Wednesday, as I said, I believe. There's also Willie Calhoun. Willie Calhoun's around. Probably see him sent back down at some point if the situation allows it, if they get enough regulars back. So it could be a variety of different guys. I definitely think there are other names that deserve to be off this team over some of the ones who are here currently. But given how the Yankees do things and how they plan to construct their roster, just their beliefs with certain guys, that's probably what's going to happen. And those are some names that will probably be sacrifices for certain guys coming off the injured list. And with Peraza being called up today, I think this is going to be the the one that happens most shortly coming up in the coming days. Peraza will probably be sent back down when Donaldson returns in the middle of the week. So those are some names that I could think will be sent back down, some roster moves being made in light of some regulars returning. But I think we're still about a week and a half or two away from seeing Bader, probably about a week and a half-ish. And Rodon and Sevy probably a little closer to May, if not May itself. And Donaldson's right around the corner. So those are some moves, I would say. Just giving some names for some guys who are up right now. Next, we've got at Rebirth Chaos 09. Saw my good friend James at the game again yesterday as well. Good to see you, buddy. James asks, Yankees have an issue with the bullpen, and that's with Clay since last year. He's been having problems closing, and we talked about this yesterday at the game. Should Clay be put in low-pressure situations to get his confidence back because he's not been that guy, mostly? Yeah, we did talk about this yesterday. I've spoken about it with a few people, and I stick to my thoughts on it. I don't think it would hurt him at all, man. I, I don't. Just to get some confidence back, a couple of lower leverage situations. And in the meantime, you could have someone like Wandy take the closer role. I think he'd be next up. I, he's fine with me. I'm fine with Wandy. Just try him out for a couple of times. A couple of times, that's it. So, once Clay gets in a couple of lower leverage situations for maybe just a couple of days, I don't know. And then... See where he's at. Put him in a higher leverage situation again. See what happens. You know, just just play around with it a bit. It's only April. You have the you have the luxury to be a little looser right now. You're not in any intense playoff hunt for the wild card or first place in the division or anything like that. You're in April. So if you're feeling a little iffy about anybody, then play around with it a little bit. It can't hurt. So I would say it definitely can't hurt him. So I stick to my thoughts on that with that, James. Next we've got at Talking Rivals. Asking, how will they solve the infield with Peraza up today for Stanton and Donaldson returning this week as well? Trade possibly coming? Well, they mentioned this uh, this on the broadcast today. You're probably going to see Peraza just sent back down for when Donaldson returns. That's, that's probably where we're going to get. And I have and I gave my opinions on Peraza before and the whole situation with him and what I think about it. So I won't reiterate all of that and sound like a broken record. But... I think you're likely probably going to see Peraza just sent back down when Donaldson returns in the middle of the week. And who knows when we'll see Peraza back or if we'll see him in the game on Tuesday. Because if Donaldson returns Wednesday, he'll probably be gone by Wednesday already. And the Yankees are off tomorrow. So the only game, the only opportunity outside of today, and he didn't get any playing time today, that you'll probably see Peraza get a shot in is possibly Tuesday against the Angels. So we'll see what happens with that. Otherwise, 
He'll have just made a quick trip up here for just in case the Yankees needed him and then sent right back down. So, all right, up next we've got Spencer at Musician DMD asking, every game counts, of course, but a reality is every team will win at least 40 games and lose at least 40 games. I don't see any losses in April or May as the loss that could potentially keep the New York Yankees out of the playoffs. To me, the losses the New York Yankees have now is just the reflection of the natural order of the Major League Baseball season. When they hit 40 L's, then I'll pay attention. What is your view on that and response to fans that react strongly to early season losses as it relates to the standings? That's a good question, Spencer. Uh, I think every game is equal value. I definitely don't blame people who make April games seem like less of a big deal than games later on. Obviously, if you're in an intense playoff hunt in August and September, those games obviously have a great deal of pressure added onto them than an early season game does. But I would say it's it's about equal as value. I mean, it's just, it's harped on more at the end if you're in an intense playoff race because of the timing of it. But a lot of people also look back, if you have this good of a memory in August, and you look back, be like, oh, what, what about, uh, you might mention the Orioles game, for instance, where they lost 7-6. to six. Like, what if they happen to hold on to that lead? And you know, what happened if they held on to that 5-4 to four lead after Oswaldo hit that two-run double? They, they should have won that game. What about the one in Cleveland when they lost 3-2? to two? They could have driven in that run with Glaber with the leadoff triple and have won that game and swept that series. If they just had one more win, then we wouldn't be in this intense of a situation. Some fans will do that. <laughs> like They actually will if their memories are that good. And I don't necessarily blame them. I mean, it's, yes, the old shoulda, woulda, coulda. But it does go to show that every game means the same thing. And that's factually true. Game one does have the same value as one late in the season when it comes to actual value. It's, it's one out of the 162. Both of them are that. But as far as how it feels in the moment based on what might be on the line in a playoff race... Obviously, on like a personal level, the game during the playoff hunt is going to have more value than one in April. So it's just based on personal feelings. Like Personally, if every game in a playoff hunt in September, for instance, matters, obviously that game is going to mean more than a game in April. But objectively, as far as which games have more value, objectively, every game has the same value. Because even if a playoff hunt game means more in that moment because of what's on the line, which is true, no denying that. Game 1 of the season and game 116 of the season, they're both games within the 162-game season of the same value. They're both games. It's just a matter of the certain scenario that you happen to find yourself in come the end of the season if you're in a playoff push. So I don't know if that makes any sense, but guess what I'm trying to say is I don't blame people for maybe having a bit of an overreaction to an April game because ultimately it does matter down the line. But I'm personally never going to go as crazy over a game in April as I would at the end of the season. Like, there are some games in April where I definitely acknowledge, like, yeah, the Yankees should have grabbed that one. That's a crappy loss. It really sucks. But subjectively, as a fan, naturally at the end of the season, if they're in a playoff push and have a crappy loss, the reaction's going to be even more intense. So while they objectively have the same value because they are just one game out of the 162, all of them, they're 
Each game's with the same value, but a playoff push game is obviously going to be met with a lot more pressure and a lot more stronger reactions. So I hope that clears it up. Like, I don't necessarily agree with not giving a crap until the 40 wins or 40 losses level is achieved. I don't necessarily agree with that. I do still definitely take notice when a crappy loss takes place early on and will acknowledge it and say that I think that's a a game the Yankees should have won. Or if it's the other way around, I'll also say that that's a game that they probably stole. But you also most certainly will not hear me saying, even if it is a really crappy loss in April, that the season's already over. (laughs) You definitely won't hear me saying that. And anyone who's majorly concerned for the season at that scale in April, I think needs to pump the brakes a little bit. (laughs) And there are those people out there, I assume that's who you're talking about, Spencer. Because anything could happen in a season, anything at all. And you just can't tell that well back in April. There's still so much time left to go. But yes, obviously a stronger reaction will be met if it's at the end of the season and they're in an intense push for the playoffs, whether it be for first place, the wild card, or what have you. So... Reactions at the end, definitely stronger, but games early on do matter too. It's normal not to react as much, but I definitely don't agree with the mindset like, yeah, these games mean absolutely nothing. It's still April. This loss doesn't mean crap. I think it means something. It has value. So I hope that clears it up somewhat, Spencer. All righty. Who is next? At Mark Plum 63 asks, is there a possibility of them teaching Peraza third base? Thank you. Well, thank you for the question, Mark. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think they want to go down that route. Although I think it would be nice. Like I, I think it'd be cool to give him another opportunity to be up on the roster playing in a certain position if it's not second or short where he and Volpe are primarily experienced. But I don't think that's a route they want to go. I think they, I think if they want both he and Volpe up, I think they would envision them as the middle infielders. I don't think that they'd be open to playing third. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't think they'd be willing to teach him third base. I think it's just middle infield or down in the minors. That's that's just what I think about what the Yankees would do. At Baseball Tzar asks, why don't Cressy and Blake get more heat? Blake was anointed a savior after turning Holmes into a stud. Now crickets. It has to work both ways. The pitchers talk about making adjustments for their next start. Why no in-game adjustments? He hung Brito out to dry. Well, Cressy and Blake don't really have much to do with hanging Brito out there to dry. That's kind of Boone's decision when to take him out when it comes to in-game decisions. But, yeah, I mean, when it comes to certain guys not performing, well, yeah, he should take some flack. I do think to a certain degree it should fall on the player for not performing, though. I do think that Blake did help Clay Holmes get his stuff under control and lower his high walk rate that he had with Pittsburgh. But I do think that at the same time, I think that he needs to help Clay more to regain his control, and I do think that Clay needs to do a better job himself because I do think a certain degree of it has to fall on the player as well for not doing their job. So when it comes to Cressy, I mean, hey, when it comes to the injuries we've seen all throughout baseball, not just with the Yankees, but especially with the Yankees, how injuries are just inevitable. I mean, they're going to happen. You might as well just expect it at this point, which is unfortunate, and it's not a reality we should have to deal with, but it's here. What are you going to do about it? I do think Cressy should probably be questioned, and maybe he is within the organization, and we just don't know. Maybe they just don't make it public. These things do happen, you know. When we're just on the outside looking in, you don't know what's going on within the organization. Maybe they are questioning and be like, hey, Eric, what the hell's going on over here? Everybody's still getting hurt. 
What's a way we could avoid that better? Who knows? I'm sure they're having conversation of some kind. If they aren't, that'd be kind of alarming. But yeah, I think it should go both ways. I do. But at the same time, also players should be held accountable for not doing their jobs. I think that should be a thing as well. I just hope someone like Clay figures it out again, because if we get even a semblance of what we saw last year in the first half with Clay Holmes, then that is... There's no word for how huge that would be for the bullpen, like it is for the way Michael King has rebounded lately. At Burrow Dweller 73 asks, do you think Stanton would have avoided the injury if he had still been wearing the high socks? <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? I know it's weird. I started to notice he got rid of the high socks towards the end of the last few days. Weird. It's a weird look on him. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So speaking of Stanton, I'm on Twitter now. Oh, God. Oh, boy. At the very end of the episode, all right, we did catch it on Yapping Yankees. I said if there's an MRI update, I don't know if they wait for tomorrow or if there'd be results before I finish recording and I'd be able to give it to you on this episode. It turns out I'm going to be able to give it to you now. You probably saw it on social media already or some of, you know, sports app update you might have seen before listening to this episode. But at the time I'm taping, this just came out. So here's the Stanton update, guys. He apparently has a grade two hamstring strain. That heals, best case scenario, four to six weeks. Oh, crap. All right, so I gather from this that we are not going to see Stanton until at least June. That's what I'm gathering, knee-jerk reaction right off the bat after reading this. I'm gathering that we are not going to see Stanton until at least June. Because... Even if it heals in the quickest amount of time based on this timetable, of course, it depends on the person. But if it heals in the four weeks and he seems like he's ready to go by mid-May, you got to put him through a rehab assignment after being out that long. Can't just throw him back into the deep end, I have to imagine. Especially if it ends up going the full six weeks or so. And by then you're looking at, I don't know, late May return at the best. I mean the best of best case scenarios. So I'd say at least June. At least. That sucks. Yeah, so the date is April 16th. We're probably not going to... That's my prediction. We're probably not going to see Stanton back until the beginning of June. That really blows, man. That sucks. Uh, I wish he could stay healthy. I do. I wish he could stay healthy. So that's the Stanton update, guys. That's the latest. I think Marley Rivera had it first from ESPN, and now it's making its way around Twitter. So we'll see if anything changes, or if not, then that's that's the official report, guys. Four to six weeks is general timetable for healing time for a grade two hamstring strain, which is what Stanton has reportedly been diagnosed with after his MRI today. That stinks. All right. Let's finish off the social media segment. Last two as per usual. First up, my girlfriend at Vic Salimo. She asks, how many bases do you predict Volpe will steal this season? What are your overall thoughts about where he currently stands and what his potential is going forward? And has he met your expectations so far? How many bases? I mean, if he keeps his pace up, probably at least 50. I'll, I'll predict 50. If he stays up the entire year and stays healthy and stays on this current pace, I would say at least 50. Easy, actually based on his current pace. <laughs> He's already almost at double digits. It's only April 16th. <laughs> so we'll see. I'll say at least 50 for now. I'll be optimistic about it. And overall thoughts? I mean, I basically said that in response to, I think it was Tina's question before, and his potential. I think he has great potential. I think he'd go deep at least maybe like 
15, 20 times this year. I have a high batting average with his speed especially. And uh, get on base a lot. Just keep getting on base, stealing those bases. I think he has definitely met my expectations with stolen bases and fielding, at least. And the hitting is yet to fully come together. But recent results and recent plate appearances and contact have me thinking that even that's going to come together soon. So I'm impressed with him. And I think expectations will only continue to be met and possibly even succeeded going forward. That's my opinion on that, Vic. Last but not least, let's wrap it up here, is my mom, Julia Gina Scudero, and she says, Hi, Mike. Hey, Mom. I'm still on a high from yesterday and today's wins, and you were at yesterday's awesome game. My Q&A is two parts. First, do you think the fans are happy with Volpe's performance? And second, why does the greatest baseball team not have an official closer? Remember the days of the Sandman and the stadium roaring upon his entry to save the game? We need a closer, period. Enough of Clay Holmes and other people who could never fill the shoes. Thoughts? Well, I'll start off with saying that I don't think anybody can fill Moe's shoes. I will start off by saying that. So to expect that of Clay Holmes, I don't think is fair. <laughs> but listen, I think that Clay Holmes should be put into some lower leverage situations to figure out his confidence and get it back and see if he could earn himself that role again. That's just my personal opinion. I don't think it could hurt to experiment with a little bit here in April. Those are just my thoughts. As far as not having an official closer, yeah, it stinks. I mean, if Luizica could stay healthy, yeah, it's a big if because he hasn't been able to the last bunch of years. Always at least one IL stint for him, whether it be shoulder, elbow, whatever. But if Luizica were able to stay healthy, I'd make him the closer if I were manager or just running things with the Yankees because I think he's got the best stuff. But right now, I wouldn't have a problem with giving it to Marinaccio or Wandy Peralta as of this moment. I know Marinaccio is probably seen as more of a possibly even a, a multi-inning guy along with Michael King, even though Michael King's even more so because he's he's pitched two, three innings far more often. But for the time being, if you were to put Clay Holmes in some lower leverage situations for now, I wouldn't mind seeing Marinaccio or Wandy Peralta getting some closing chances. I know Marinaccio has the tendency to walk some guys as well as Clay Holmes does, but I'd be willing to give him a shot at it since he hasn't gotten a legit closing chance yet like Clay has. At least while you're doing Clay Holmes in the in the lower leverage spots. I wouldn't be opposed to that for maybe a couple of weeks, see how it goes, and take it from there. I don't think it could hurt. So that's just my opinion on that. They're probably not going to do that. They're probably just going to keep trying with Clay Holmes and see if he could figure it out. That's probably what they're going to do if I had to guess. As far as Volpe, I think most fans are happy and they're enjoying watching him. There are some out there who definitely attacked him over his lack of hitting when he was really slumping like in the Baltimore series, for instance, but those are just people with less than no patience because at that point, he was only up for a week at the age of 21 as a rookie. And again, it also kind of falls on the pressure that the organization put him under when he was still in the minor leagues, you know, all the descriptions and comparisons they were making about him. That has fans formulate some unrealistic expectations in their minds when it comes to a kid coming up. And and that could take its toll on a kid. And, you know, when they have even a slight window of slumping, then those impatient and irrational fans jump all over them. So that stinks too, but he doesn't deserve it. I, I think most people are very much enjoying watching him and they're giving him all the time he needs to just figure it out in any areas that he does need to develop a little bit more in. And I think watching that's awesome. I'm having a great time with it, and I think most people are too, the rational people, at least. So I guess those are my thoughts on that. So thank you for the question, Mom, and thank all of the rest of you for your questions as well for this Q&A. Good round of Q&A this week. I'll have to do another one soon. 
But great job in the social media segment, everybody. I enjoyed doing it. I love reading your stuff and answering it if it's in the case of a Q&A. And obviously, what a long episode again today. Had a lot to talk about in the two-week catch-up. What can I tell you? But as for now, guys, that is all for episode 178 of Yapping Yankees Today. Remember to follow me on all socials if you don't already, guys. Facebook fan page, Mike Scudero NY. Twitter, at Mike Scudero. And Instagram, Mike Scuds 97 Subscribe to Yapping Yankees on all four platforms it's available on. That would be YouTube, Apple, Spotify, and SoundCloud. Show your love across all four of them, as you always do, my good people. And if you've missed any Yapping Yankees episodes, episodes 34 all the way up to 178 today are on YouTube. And on Apple, SoundCloud, and Spotify, you can find every single episode of Yapping Yankees going all the way back to episode one about four years ago if you missed or want to listen back to any episode that you want. But once again, I want to thank you 3,000 for listening to me yap today. As always, my friends, I have been your host, Mike Scudero, and I will talk to you next Sunday, April 23rd, when I come at you with episode 179 of Yapping Yankees as we creep ever closer to the big bicentennial episode 200. But until then, guys, as usual, hang in there. Be patient, stay safe, look out for your loved ones, go ahead and kick life's ass this week, guys, and as always, enjoy Yankees baseball. Hopefully, the Yankees do well against the Angels coming up. They have three games against them Tuesday through Thursday, and then next weekend, they will be facing, starting on Friday, the Toronto Blue Jays at the stadium, capped off by next Sunday's game at 1.35 Eastern when we talk next. Have a good week, guys, and let's go Yankees. Take care.